Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, fools and foolettes? Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your co-host of the Good Bottle Podcast, Mr. Christopher Andrew Sinclair, and I am with the uh, one and only host, Mr. Drew Garrison. Hi, guy. How are you doing? Did you enjoy? I'm doing our, really good. Uh, week off? I think the I um, our unplanned week off, where I had to reach out to our guests, that was going to happen and be like, "Hey, we're super professional," and Chris is going to Mexico. And he's known for a month and forgot to tell me. Um, Sorry. Yeah, no, it, it was it was really it was nice. I mean, sometimes you don't you don't realize how much time you put into this thing, despite what it sounds like. At times, we do put a lot of time and effort into this podcast, and so like when you don't have to do it, it's kind of like a like ooh, I got a shift off of work that I wasn't planning on, which is completely ridiculous because we willingly do this and no one gives us money for it. So. Um, so it, it, it was good. I'm I'm happy to be back because uh, there are a lot of things I want to discuss, and there there are a lot of things that uh, I'm excited about about talking about. And then and I also had a couple situations over the past few weeks as well, or or last two weeks, where I had two people bring up the podcast to me that I did not know listened to it, which was great. And the first was. Uh, Curtis Shiner, I was at Total Wine and I ran into him and he was so amazing about it. He's like, I really enjoy this. And he's a, he's a rep for, for Wine Warehouse in Sacramento. And he's like, yeah, when I'm driving around, like I, I listen to it and you guys, it's really good stuff. And I pulled some of my coworkers and I'm like, I'm like, that's amazing. I, I really love to, I really love to hear that. And so, so Curtis, thank you for, for listening. And then the other person was, uh, was Ryan saying, and Ryan was like, I love the fact that you guys don't do um, like you just do like the the abrupt stop of the intro music and you don't do like a fade out, which has always bothered me. But like, Chris, you just like continue to do it. And he was like, he's like, it's kind of funny that you guys keep doing it. Like, it's like this ongoing joke. And I'm like, I don't know if we intended for that to be a joke. That's just how <laughs> we do not. things. <laughs> yeah. So like there's him having this musical, <laughs> musical mind for the podcast and, and both of us, like it's just happened out of the fact that we're just inept at what we do. Um, so, and yeah, then, and then I also, also feel like Ryan knows me well enough now that he should know that that's not a, that's like not a choice. Right. Like, yeah, I, I feel like he should know that that's just a, that's a criticism. That's a, that's a thing that I don't know how to fix. And therefore here we are. Yeah, and and just so just so the listeners know at home, like you know, we kind of we kind of always have like these weird issues and stuff like that when it comes to recording. We're trying to we're always figuring them out. But um, so on this episode, unlike previous ones, usually our guests can't hear some of the sound drops. On this one, I'm not going to be able to hear the sound drops. So if there's a little bit of a delay, it's because Chris has forgotten to give me hand signals because we just figured it out within the last two seconds that that we don't have, this that I'm great. not going to have the sound drops. So this is just, you know, this is more of the Good Bottle Podcast being uh, being amazing. Um, also, I want to thank uh, our last guest, guest, Seth Marquez. He actually picked up one of the fanny packs 
And so he is now a full-blown supporter of the Good Bottle podcast. And there's a little note in the fanny pack that I forgot that I included when I designed them because I was definitely drinking that night. And he sent it to me. He goes, what is this all about? And I was like, oh, my God, that's a great that's a great brownout moment of I totally <laughs> forgot I did that and it's in there. I'm not going to tell anybody what it is and I'm not going to share it. You have to buy the fanny pack to see what the note says inside the fanny pack. Um, but enough of that, enough of all those things. We want to, we want to move on with the episode. We want to introduce our, our guest tonight. And I am so excited about this person. And for a lot of, a lot of reasons, um, this is this is one of the people that I go to with agave questions and have in the past. And, and sometimes she answers, sometimes she doesn't. It just depends on her schedule. Um, but it is it is someone that I have a tremendous amount of respect for and someone that in, imparted a piece of knowledge onto me. Uh, this was probably three years ago. And she said at one point, um, you know, you, you finally realize that you know something about agave when you realize you don't know shit about agave. And I just like, it has resonated with me so much since then. So, so she is, um, so she is an agave nerd. Um, she is transitioning into a new bar management position. I don't know if she's going to reveal to it, uh, to the masses yet, just yet what it is, but she's also the president of the USBG in San Francisco. Our guest tonight Quite possibly one of the best Sprinter van dancers in the entire world. And if you don't know what a Sprinter van is, it's a very small space and she still makes it work. Uh, Janice Bylon, thank you so much for joining us tonight. What are you sipping on and how do you dance in such a small space? <laughs> wow, that is a lot to live up to, Drew. And like really gets my little heartstrings a pull in here. Um, as far as drinking, I am a big believer in the no less than three drinks. So I have my little teacup. Um, it's one of my favorites because it says, I do not spew profanities. I enunciate them clearly like a fucking lady. <laughs> Great cup. Every Every lady needs that. Um, a little manzanilla sherry. And then I also, of course, have mezcal in my copita. Um, right now I'm sipping on some from La Locura. Um, this is from Santa Catarina in Oaxaca. And um, what I love about it is I was able to like sit down and have like a full on like uh, session with Lalo, who's the uh, mezcalero there. And he was telling me how like, you know, they used to use the tradition of like putting a worm in the bottle, but if it was on top, then that meant that it was a good, a, a well distilled spirit. And if it was on the bottom, then that meant that it was shit. So the, this one, the worm used to be on top. It's really cool. Cause it's like got this like really cool salinity and earthiness to it. But yeah, um, I'm just going to say salud. So salud. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. That's awesome. I've never heard that about the the gusano before. I mean, obviously, there's all kinds of, I guess, lack for a better term, like folklore when it comes to the gusano, but I haven't heard of it floating as opposed to sitting at the bottom of the distillate. So there you go. There's another there's another thing that you're just kind of like, here, you can have this knowledge. Now go on, go play with your toys, you know, um, but that's that's uh that's really cool and and again we're we're so excited to to have you be a part of this i think there's there's some great insight that you're going to be able to bring to to the stories tonight um chris 
what are what are you sipping on, bud? What's going on over there? Uh, considering that I just came back from uh, Mexico this week, uh, which is why we didn't record last week. Um, sorry, everyone. Um, uh, I I brought back some delicious um, El Tecaleño uh, um, Reposado Rare, which is six year old Reposado. Uh, the reason it's uh, it's Reposado and not Añejo or Extra Añejo is because it's aged in a pipon, uh, which is a oversized oak cask, uh, and aging requirements for Añejo and Extra Añejo require it to be in a like whiskey size cask. Um, so this is, this is a delicious, uh, aged tequila still get a ton of agave on it. Um, uh, it's still ripping hot. Um, just a, just a little bit of oak that comes out on the nose. It's really, really lovely. Um, and this was, uh, definitely something fun for me to bring back. I, I enjoy this. Um, and, Visiting the distillery was fantastic. My first time in Mexico. I know Janice has been so many times. Uh, and uh, every time I tell people that I hadn't been or that this was my first time, they just like, they pretty much like want to smack me. They're like, shut up. Who are you? What? Shut the fuck <laughs> up. Are you serious? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, how did that work out? I'm like, man, it's too broke or too busy. You know, one of the two things. It's just the way it always worked out. Um, but I got really lucky this time and um, and took – I was supposed to take the whole the whole Good Bottle crew down, um, but it didn't work out because of uh, passports and whatnot. So two of us went, and we had a fucking blast. Uh, it was great. And then really, really enjoyed the town of Tequila. I didn't realize that you had not been to Mexico either. I guess maybe I just made the assumption that you had just been to Jalisco at some point because it just kind of seems like the center issue. Like, like if you were to go, like I understand not going to Oaxaca or maybe not going to Michoacan or any of the other, you know, uh, prominent, you know, distillation states. But like Jalisco, I'm, I, I mean, I just found out 15 seconds ago that was your first time going down there. So that's. That's really amazing. I mean, and to be such a fan, that's really that's really great because, like, now I'm really excited to get you to Oaxaca and kind of be like, "Wow, you're already such a big supporter!" Like, now let's take you to a place that gets really, really exciting. Janice, if you were to take Chris on his next trip to Mexico, based on your experiences, where where are you taking him? Oh man, um. I absolutely love I so first of all like just given your love for agave spirits Chris I'm like again I was surprised to hear that this was your first time in Mexico like maybe even like Cancun or like even <laughs> since we're in California like maybe you popped over the border to Tijuana at some point but you know I'm it's really cool that you got to go to Jalisco this first time but for me personally when I went to Mexico it was Oaxaca and that's where I kind of lost myself and found myself at the same time and that city was just so magical when I went there about I think like six years ago five six years ago maybe even longer I can't remember but um I stayed there for two weeks one week was with uh crew of bartenders from all around from Seattle and San Francisco and drank mezcal and you know ended up in a tub somewhere and <laughs> then the second week I basically like got to know the locals and had a crew and had a going away party so like if you're going down to Oaxaca like probably like I go I have like a routine I go to Mezcalajia 
I always start over there. I usually end up at like, um, oh my God, I'm trying to remember everywhere right now. Cause I literally just like walk down the streets. Like it's no problem. Like we'll go to in situ <laughs> at some point, like Mescalateca. And at, at one point we're going to end up at Jalapartla, which is like the nightclub over there. It's like got a rooftop on it and I'm going to make you dance. Um, the last time I was there, we were baby birding mezcal into each other's faces. And if you don't know what baby birding is, baby birding is when one person takes a sip of something and then aims it for somebody <laughs> else's mouth. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, if you had any curiosity to why COVID spread the way that it did so quickly... You can you can blame the baby birding epidemic of Janice's Mexico trips. That didn't happen on our trip together. I almost well maybe I didn't see it. Like I I saw I feel like I saw a lot of things on our trip, but maybe that's a Oaxaca thing. We went to Michoacan and Jalisco together, so um, I guess that's not where you baby bird because it's frowned upon in those other states. Uh, no, we just take panka, uh, like pancas off of the agave and shave off like the like spiky parts and do laybacks with them off of horses. Off of horses, naturally. So yeah, that's 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 how that's how you do it in Michoacan. Um, okay, so so that that'll be that'll be the trip. I you know it's it's funny that that you describe Oaxaca in the same way. That, that I do, Janice, is like the first place in Mexico that I went was also Oaxaca. And it is, uh, and I didn't go till I was the, you know, the ripe old age of like 29 or 30. And, um, and it totally had the same effect. It was like, I just, I just feel like I've been completely exposed to this brand new, this brand new world and this whole new realm of possibilities and, and just completely changed my whole outlook on life. And and I just feel that that just, I hadn't done a whole lot of international travel either. So, so that's a big reason for it. Um, but well, what's uh, really funny about that, not to cut you off Drew, is that like, I literally came back from that trip and I wanted to, and that's when I knew I needed to do something within the agave sphere. Like I just knew that this was what I wanted to make my life into. And I, literally looked at my friend who had been the tour guide for that. Um, and I said, maybe I should start a podcast. And they're like, no, nobody listens to podcasts. That's true. <laughs> and no, no, here no. we I, are. No, no, no. I can back that up. There's, there's very few people who listen. That's not true. We get close to 500 unique listens a month. That's right. Yeah. Ooh. And in based- 10 countries. And we're in 10 countries and based off of my research and listening to much more popular podcasts, those are actually <laughs> not like we're, we're in the, the upper percentile of like, of what people listen to. Cause there, cause there are just Millions. an outrageous amount of podcasts that are out there. And I do listen to a lot of them. Um, but if you, yeah, I think it, based on our numbers, like we're actually like we actually do well compared to the rest of the industry, which is so funny because it still doesn't it, it doesn't it, feel like a lot. totally a surprise to to Drew and I to find that out. I mean, we were le- we were legitimately surprised to figure out that we were actually somewhat successful at doing this. 
Yeah, especially I mean, especially considering just the origins of it. I mean, I think the I think when it comes to people talking about this stuff now and and, and again, it's it's we, we were having these conversations anyways, which you know some of our oldest listeners will will know, is that like we were we were doing this anyways, why not record it? And I just I can't encourage people enough to to like have these discussions. I mean, especially in today's world and, and a conversation I was having with earlier that we were discussing before the podcast, it's like, you know, there's no more nuance. There's no more, uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's a huge lack of empathy that, that exists within our world right now. And a lot of that is due to community to computer mediated communication. And it's things that you're saying through Facebook that come off, you know, horrible or Instagram or, or whatever the case may be. Like when you do something like this and you have this conversation and it's just kind of like, you know, like we're doing it with videos. Like I can see your guys' faces. I can see what you're saying. I can see what the inflections are. Like I can see Chris rolling his eyes at me. Like I can see all those things. I know what the intentions are. And I, and I think it's important to have these conversations and um, you know, and if, if we, if we educate one person on something or we have a good conversation or someone brings it up to me while I'm walking through total wine, like that's amazing. Like that's really, really cool that we, that we get to do it. So, so I'll say this, Janice, especially considering the amount of knowledge that you, that you have to share and the fact that you are still extremely pragmatic about it and you're always willing to learn. I say you should do it because if these two yahoos on the other side of this conversation can pull this off and have a shred of success with it. We know that that you can as well. I so, thought I thought um, you were going to say dignity, and I was like, Drew, I, I haven't had that for years. That's no, 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 no. I don't want to. I definitely don't want to start lying to people. You know, That's I nice. don't think anybody on this has had any dignity for a while now. Drew thinks he does, <laughs> but he doesn't. It's we know Drew, better. <laughs> Drew, speaking of which, what are you drinking? Um. Well, at this point, it's been drunk. It's gone. Um, but I, oh, that was I, fast. yeah, well, um, I had, I had the kid on my own tonight, so you have to compensate in a certain way. Um, so I, I went with the, the Governo Aluso Toscano Chianti. This is actually from, from the good bottle shop and it's through former guest, uh, uh, Kelly Babineau's LBV imports. And this is a really fun, uh, Chianti from from italy and this is a brother sister team that produces out there it's 90 percent sangiovese 10 percent cabernet and it um i i paired it with a with a steak tonight and the steak might have been a little too heavy for it but um but it was like it's hot out so it was it was actually really nice because it was a refreshing red it wasn't too heavy it might have got dwarfed a little bit by the steak, but for the most part, it was still super, super delicious. It was a nice contrast. I did some heavy, heavy spices on the steak, and so going back and forth. This this Chianti is is wonderful, and I want to have more of it in my life in the very near future. So I'll probably be stopping by the shop to to pick it up. I'll be so, seeing you soon. Um, yeah. So that's what. That's what I'm sipping on, and it's it's super delicious. Um, so definitely, if you're looking, and I think right now it's it's really it's good to have those types of reds because you know up here in the Sacramento area, like we're really starting to transition into that like dreaded heat that hits this area so freaking hard, it's unbelievable. But I don't necessarily want a white wine, so it's like it's that nice middle ground. So I think I've been drinking a lot of the lighter reds recently because I'm not ready to let go of the spring 
winter cold stuff. Like I'm, I'm fighting it. I'm trying to will it into cooler temperatures and it's, it's not going to work. I know that. Have you, have you, uh, ventured into any of the Valdegis yet? Negative. Negative. No. Uh, All right. But if you hold my hand, I'll do it. I'm going to put you onto some of these, uh, some of these, it used to be known as the, uh, so it's sort of like colloquially as the Napa Gamay, um, which it's not Gamay at all, but it's because it's light, it's fruity, um, and like nice, nice acid and really bright. Um, but it's this great red light got, you know, depending on who your producer is, you know, great body, but it's a, it's one of those, um, not so, not so frequently heard of varietals, um, Mm -hmm. that, if if you're coming across it, it's probably coming from someone who knows exactly what they're doing with it. And so it's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely interested. You know, as most of our listeners know, the 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 wine journey continues and it's it's been a lot of fun. And um, and I'm actually at a point now where I I really overloaded my wine selection because I had a bunch of samples come in. We were doing a bunch of different trainings with work and stuff. I know we talked about the Cabriche uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then, and just through sure will and the dedication of my wife and I, we've really knocked that wine collection down and we're ready to put more into it. So, um, so the timing couldn't be better, but I think, you know, speaking of timing, I think it's time for our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. And our first story of the night is uh, a fun one, and I think very appropriate for our guest tonight. Mexican, the Mexican president vows to protect tequila from foreign interest. President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador is challenging Heineken beer on his on their Desperados brewed beer with tequila. And basically saying that they're using this name unlawfully and they want to challenge them in court so they can no longer say that there's tequila being used in this brew beer. Of course, Heineken comes back and says that we have this 20-year tradition of incorporating this tequila into our brewed beer and that it satisfies all of the EU requirements. should see all the motions that Janice is making right now. Very inappropriate. Um, this is this is legitimately the... the the tip of the iceberg when it comes to tequila's growth and its popularity that is happening across the world. And you're seeing it now. One of the other things that is mentioned in the article is Revel Spirits, which is another product that is producing a tequila-like product, but it's not tequila. And so it's really interesting to see how they tap into people's senses and like, hey, this is tequila, but it's not tequila because we're not saying it. So they're trying to you know not break the law with that. But upon reading this, Janice, and I know that we've seen some of the physical cues that the, that the listeners at home can't see, but what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on, on Heineken and this Desperado beer? Oh, man, I have so many words. So many words. Um, you know, it's funny because we're, we're doing this with tequila, but if somebody were to say this about champagne, you know, this shit would get shot down in a second, you know? Like, or certain varietals of wine that have uh, DOCs or AOCs that are very specific. But because it's Mexico and 
we 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 for some reason these lines seem to get a little bit more smudged um you know the crt ruled and that's the regulatory agency that rules over tequila if, if you didn't know um uh, basically that in order to be called tequila you have to be made and bottled in mexico there are a lot of spirits that like agave spirits that are made in other countries as we're starting to see south africa australia um and other countries kind of dip their feet into agave spirits, but we call them agave spirits. They're not tequila because even though they may share the same respect, you don't have the same, you know, and I'm going to bring up the big T word, the same terroir, the same climate, the same, all of the things that makes to make tequila, tequila, you know, tequila is not all States of Mexico. It's only, uh, Oh my God! Why am I blanking? It's five. Uh, it's five. I'm sorry. I was like, I, I, all, I all of a sudden my mezcal brain came into mind, and I was like, No, it's nine. Wait, no, it's five. Wait, where, 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 where am I right now? Oh, I'm in the United States. <laughs> um, but you know, again, it's one of those things where, like, what rules do we respect, and what rules do we throw out of the out of the cage? For me, it's like, I really do believe that tequila is strictly a it's traditionally a mexican product it should not be taken out and appropriated in under other countries to be tequila in other countries because that's not their tradition and i mean this can get into an even larger topic of appropriating cultures but like again you know this for me that's kind of like i just get frustrated when larger companies do whatever the fuck they want in order and like say no but we've been doing this for a long time so we own it it's okay for us to do wow i didn't say i just said a whole lot of things <laughs> no that's perfect that's exactly what we're going so okay so now chris like you you were you're, you're just freshly back from mexico you've you got to experience a couple of different distilleries that are currently producing tequila and some in more unique ways than others like what was what was your reaction to to reading this article and just thoughts in general regarding the topic. I'm uh, man. Okay. <clears throat> I swear I sent this to him a couple days ago, everybody. It's not like I sprung this on him. So just yeah, that, that's true. I'm collecting my thoughts. And I apologize. It's a bad time <laughs> to do it. And dead, dead air. is never a good look. Um, I, I am uh, similar uh, uh, to a similar mind of, of Janice uh, with a couple caveats. Um, a on the beer, they do say tequila flavored. Um, and I feel like, I feel like where do we draw the line of flavorings, right? Like um, it, it, like if it tastes like a thing, do you, do you try to come up with some roundabout way of saying, okay, well it's agave spirit flavored which actually doesn't mean anything, right? Like that, that could mean a whole lot of things and might actually be even more embarrassing uh, if you tried to say that, you know? So if it tastes like tequila and it's flavored with tequila, they're not saying it is tequila. They're saying it's tequila beer, but you're not going to find a, you're not going to find like, um, I mean, you know, and then we end up with like what tequila and other shit like that. That's just like awful and nobody likes. 
someone likes it because it still exists, right? But clearly, this Heineken product has been around for a long time. It's got it's got a lot of um, a lot of following. I don't know if that makes it right. Uh, I don't also. I'm not. I'm not. It's the appropriation thing that really bothers me here because um, it, it's it's not paying paying homage to to the tradition of what it is it's like you're just you're just throwing a flavoring into a beer I, and do, do we even know what tequila they're using where they're getting it from like we don't i didn't i didn't find that in the article or or i even tried to do a little bit of research and i couldn't find it anywhere um so you know maybe they are just using like agave distillate you know from somewhere and we just don't know right yeah so so one of the things that that I immediately thought of was, um, I want to say it was two and a half to three years ago. There was a lot of discussion over the Mez California that is that is taking root in in, mm-hmm. in California, where you have people who are producing agave products and then um, you know cooking, distilling, and and all that stuff, and how to appropriately label it. And there was a point brought up by by Eric Rodriguez, who is. Um, who's been considered the Indiana Jones of Mezcal, right? And has bottled all kinds of really, really amazing things. And um, and he and he brought this notion to the table, which I thought was really interesting because, of course, you had a lot of people talking about you know appropriation and and like you know steal and stealing this culture from Mexico and, and trying to create this stuff. And he was like, he's like, well, you know, if you really look at the tequila industry right now, it's like, shouldn't tequila start respecting itself within its own borders before it starts telling other people to respect it? And when he, what he was saying was, you know, you do have a lot of things out there, flavored tequilas with bizarre ones. Um, and you have, now you're having seltzers that are starting to pop up that are, that are coming out as well. And so it's, you know, if you're going to have this, I guess, case against other people doing it, it was just kind of like, well, it's like, you don't respect your own product and you're doing all these horrible things that kind of throw tradition to the side. What's the expectation? Why is there an expectation for anybody else to respect, to respect it? That that falls under like a, like, like, you know, family sort of expectations, right? It's like, yeah, my brother's an asshole. I get to call him an asshole, but you don't get to call him an asshole. Right? Like, that's that's my asshole. You can't say shit. Like, I, I will fight you if you call my brother an asshole. He is one, but you <laughs> don't get to say that, right? Like, that's, I that kind of falls in the same line for me. Um, but, you know, I Jan- think also, Janice, you brought up a point oh, about, about champagne being a thing. It's totally already a thing. I mean, we already have High Life. High Life is the champagne of beers. Right. And that that flies and certainly doesn't come from France. Right. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm like I'm kind of I'm in the middle on this one. There, there are parts of this that definitely bother me. But then I'm like, where do we draw the line, though? You know, especially because on the on the label, it definitely says flavored. Doesn't say doesn't say doesn't say made with tequila. Just says tequila flavored beer, so it's like, what what do we call a thing that tastes like something? And if you're not allowed to use the word that it is, Janice, what did you have yeah. to say? I mean, Chris brings up some really great points on that, you know, and it, especially since, like, in addition to the 
tequila flavored, then we're also spanning into like the tequila non-alcoholics. Like, what do you really call those? Like, how do we find this new category of labeling something that isn't, you know, made in the proper respects of its tradition, right? But what I was going to say earlier from the point before was um, when referring to the whole mezcalifornication thing, you know, we also have to remember that California was a part of Mexico at one point. So, I mean, historically, there is some relevancy as far as like, you know, tequila wasn't necessarily the practice then, but like, I always find like that link, right? The historical link of it. And maybe that's pulling strings, but yeah. Well, I do, I do think that that's, no, it's, it's absolutely a relevant talking point, but I also think that, you know, there's agave that does grow in other parts of the world. And, you know, we're starting to see that, like you mentioned South Africa earlier and like the Karoo agave distillate, like that stuff is really, really good. Um, I haven't had anything from California that I think is good yet, but that stuff I think is really good. And I, and I do want to see some, some encouragement of it, like moving forward. And the, the interesting thing, that I really kind of pulled away from this is when it comes to these designations of origins and these different appellations that we have kind of across the world is there's this, and there's exceptions, but for the most part, it's kind of like a lot of handshake deals across the board in terms of, okay, we're we're not going to let people call it this because it's your thing. You know, but there's very few things that are actually set in stone that are binding by law that enforce these names and these these things. And so, so I do think that's that's one thing that kind of gets overlooked, and and I know it gets brought up like with the champagne stuff, you know, quite often because that's the that's the most recognizable one, right? But there are California champagnes, and it's because they predate the designation of origin and those producers were able to prove it like oh yeah we you know because because france had thought they came up with like the ultimate hustle right it's like well you had to have been doing it since this year and during those years american had america had prohibition so they thought that they were covering all their bases and there was a couple producers who continued to produce during those years just never released them so they could go back and they could prove vintages but um, also prohibition barely touched uh, California. I mean, really, the only time it really touched California was uh, along racial lines. Like no one, no one really cared until someone said, "Oh, that jazz club over there, they're getting in the way of my jazz club over here. Can you go shut them down?" They're like, "Yeah, sure, not a problem." <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I do think it's. I do think that's like one thing to acknowledge is that it's it's nice that these things exist. And I think at this point, Mexico actually has the most denominations of origin in the world. And it's something along the lines of like 32 different ones. And it, and it ranges. It's not, it's not just a spirit related thing, but it's food as well. Um, There's so tiles pretty- that have DOS that have denominations of origin. Like, yeah, you can't like specific types of tiles and specific types of cheese. And it's crazy. I, I like they have so many, I think like, and not, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but it, um, I think in the end, we just have to kind of figure out what are we going to call these spirits that are made from agave from other places? Because, you know, we call them agave distillates. We call them not tequila, <laughs> But, you know, what what do we figure out? 
because I'm really excited to try different things from other countries. I know India is doing something too with agave spirit. So it's like, there's stuff all over the world and, you know, it would be really cool to see how that turns out. Yeah. I mean, into, into your point, I mean, there's, there's definitely this terroir factor that plays into agave or provenance, depending on, on how you really want to define it. And I agree. I mean, I, I am willing to try pretty much any agave distillate at least once, you know? Um, and then from there, you know, I kind of move on with my life, especially if it's a crap celebrity tequila, but I'm going to try it once, you know, give it, give it that fair shake. I mean, and, and I, I, again, coming back to the Karoo, that's something that I constantly find myself surprised by. Like, I just, I think I know what it's going to taste like. And then I taste it again. I'm like, I'm like, this is not at all what I remember. Like, this is so bright and really, really fun. So, so, I mean, I, I get where, where, you know, Mexico's coming from in particular, the president where it's like, oh, I have to. I have to do these things and go and protect this stuff, but kind of on the side of Heineken, it's kind of, it's like, well, we've been doing this for 20 years and all of a sudden now you have a problem. Like what's the, what are we trying to distract from right now? Well, I, but, I think uh, it's also important to to remember that uh, at least in the, like in the U S and I think internationally too, trademarks don't mean anything, mean anything unless they're defended. Right. So, so you can't mm-hmm. pick and choose when to defend trademarks um uh, if you let one slide then that gets used as as a legal reason uh, like precedent as to why someone something else could slide so you know i mean oberdon hasn't been has been president what what i mean he's been president what two years now three years so maybe this is a thing that he's finally decided to like pick up the mantle on this um but he obviously can't be blamed for the 20 prior to to him um, right, so. but to but to your point, and and like when it comes to actually like court proceedings, that actually might be something that gets referenced, right? Oh, is oh that, definitely, definitely. That gives them a leg to stand doing on. This, yeah, it's like we've been doing this for twenty plus years. This satisfies the laws that are within our country of how we define tequila, and yep, we're not really too. We're not really. It's like it's like oh no, I guess we won't sell Desperado to you guys, which I didn't even know was a thing until I, I read this article. Yeah, like it's I, not I legit, here. On the headline, I thought it was Takiza. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> then I learned about a new one. <laughs> well, I think the other thing about it, too, is that, you know, agave spirits in general have been on such a forefront of, you know, our culture right now that, you know, had you done it 20 years ago, you wouldn't have us talking about it like we are right now and having this discussion um, you wouldn't have people who are fans of tequila and want to respect that tradition um, talking about defending a name like this. It would just, it would have gotten swept under the rug, most likely, especially with such a big company. Tequila didn't have the same power that it does now. Mm-hmm. And we're really seeing that as like more and more people are trying to stamp their names on this spirit. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. And now that we got into the weeds with tequila, we want to get into a different type of weed because it's called transitions and segues. And this is what we do on this amazing show. 
Um, so our next article is actually all about wine producers fighting the growth of weed production in the state of California. So uh, a couple years ago, California legalizes weed. And from there on out, um, everything kind of fell down to different counties and cities and, and how they wanted to enforce production of weed as well as the sales of weed as well. So places like Napa completely banned all growing of any marijuana plants whatsoever. Uh, Sonoma has very strict guidelines in terms of what you're able to do, how much you're able to grow and where you're able to grow it. But then places like Santa Barbara, it's a complete free for all. And now wine, wine, Great growers in the Santa Barbara area are now seeing this explosion of of weed production that they were not ready for and are and are looking at it from the perspective of like we need to fight back against this a little bit. Now, I do want to point out before we get into more of the details of this, is that none of the wine producers or grape growers want this business to leave. They just want some more guidelines surrounding it. Um and some of the concerns that were that were brought up is from a visual perspective, it becomes a lot less attractive to drive through Santa Barbara if there's chain link fences all around fields with people holding guns defending their their marijuana crops. Um, there's also concerns about there's very strict control over how you maintain your marijuana fields, and so if you are a wine crop right next to a marijuana crop, you can't use the same things to keep your your uh your vines alive and so are you going to start do you risk losing your vines or do you risk being fined for potentially contaminating other other um marijuana plants and then one of the other things is of course wine is very susceptible to its terroir and marijuana has a very pungent smell to it is that going to affect what the final product is? And this was something that I learned that I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but in a lot of uh, wine production, and then in particular, when you get into like tasting rooms and stuff like that, employees are actually told not to wear perfumes or colognes or anything like that because they don't want to inhibit the guest experience or potentially influence their um, the aromatics of their wine tasting experience, which I, a, it totally a- makes sense to me now. That but reveals that your, your that definitely reveals your lack of like fine dining service because it's definitely a thing in like half the restaurants I've ever worked in. Yeah, I no, was going to say the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's and, and that's what I I bring the everyman perspective to this podcast is that <laughs> is the, that I the plumber, never plumber Joe of booze. Yes, that's 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 me. Um, now, in the article that we read in particular, it was. At, at no point did we get perspective from the producers of these different uh, this weed crops and things like that, which I thought was a little telling, but I guess you are trying to stay focused on what the, what people perceive as the issue. And again, pointing out none of the wine producers want this business to go away because in the city of Santa Barbara this past year, they were able to rake in $4.2 million additional dollars as compared to the wine business, which brings in $1.7 million annually. So a lot of the complaints are, is that this is just turned into a money grab and there's all kinds of different, you know, licenses and fees that are being applied that 
are not necessarily in the best interest of everybody. So there is a lot to unpack here. There's a little bit of um, people fighting against progression, but then also fighting against this major industrialized uh, approach to marijuana production. Chris, when you read the story, um, what were some of the things that jumped out to you? It obviously wasn't the lack of perfume in cologne that is allowed, but what are some of the things that did jump out to you? Um, I, I broke this down into sort of two, two different columns. I had a list of good faith uh, complaints and bad faith arguments, right? Um, good, good faith arguments are uh, I've spent time and money cultivating these plants. It takes years uh, and I am concerned about how new emerging crops around me are now going to affect these our crops that we don't know. Uh, I think mm. that's a completely a legitimate argument uh, or at least critique a concern to have. Right. Um, I, I admittedly have not been uh, surrounded by fields and fields of weed. Uh, I think that that might be fun to experience at some point in time. So I don't know actually <laughs> how much, like how much of that is bullshit of saying like, okay, there's like all this like wafting smell coming from, from these, these plants. I mean, I've smelled, I've had friends grow in their closets and that smelled fine, but it's also like a contained area. Right. So I don't know, you know, if you get like, you know, wind gusting over the fields of lavender that all of a sudden you're like, hmm, there's like just a touch of lavender that I smell in the air. Right. Or if it's just like, Oh shit, contact high. Um, you know, so that seems sort of like a little bit of a bad faith argument in terms of like scent and perception. I think perception in terms of visual perception of chain link fences and, and dudes with guns. Yeah. That, that holds up, but it also seems like there's an easy fix there. Like that's this there's probably like you could probably put the guys with guns away during the day when you're going to have, you know, wine tours and be like, OK, come guard, come guard the, you know, the land uh, at night. All of that seems totally legitimate. And like that seems like a reasonable middle ground there. I was blown away by the sheer acreage that they were talking about. Um, we're like 220 acres is going to be the. The fucking this new giant, um, you know, uh, colossal plant farm. I lost, I lost my train of thought, not train of thought, my so, words, because so like the, the sheer volume the, of this yeah. is astounding. The proposed, the proposed, uh, new project, which is like really brought a lot of this to the forefront, was this area and these fields was it's basically the equivalent of 60 football fields, which is. I mean, if you're not completely familiar with acreage, a lot of people have seen a football field. That's a lot of football fields. So it's a lot of football um, fields. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Janice, what what were some of your impressions? What are the things that jumped out to you in this in this article? I mean, the biggest thing for me is flavor, right? We we reference Napa and Sonoma so much for terroir and for what like essentially lies within the soil and the second that you add another crop into that area you know no matter what you try to do it's gonna change the it's gonna change the wine in some way we can't we can't thoroughly um control nature and what pollinates what we can't you know 
runoff is a huge thing, like flooding, like there's going to be an intermixing at some point or another. And, you know, that's going to affect a lot of people's hard work that they've had years and years and years. Like, um, I, one of my, uh, and again, to reference back because Agave Spirits is my jam, like there was a Mescalero that, um, you know, prior to, uh, we, we had his mezcal and we were like, oh, it's like bright grapefruit and like lots of minerality. And then the next year we're like, there's so much jalapeno on this. Like what happened? And come to find out they um, planted a, a jalapeno field, like around, like right by the, like the house, which affected the mezcal that was produced the next year. Another example is there's a, I go to the farmer's market every Saturday because I love to nerd out on what's in season. And there's this one farm that I love getting bay laurel from because it weirdly has this like mentholic quality. And I didn't realize, and like I've had bay laurel in a lot of other places and I just could never get this like menthol thing that was so cool from this bay laurel from this one farm. Come to find out, they farm seven different types of eucalyptus. Now tell me that's not a coincidence, right? Like, so who, if we start bringing in weed into these places where we've grown wine for so long, like it's only a matter of time till that starts to affect the profile of what's being created. Yeah. And I think the, you know, a lot of the arguments from, the wine producers is, is that this is ends up being a a money grab, and this was I think illustrated beautifully by the fact that you do have to get a license in order to plant these marijuana plants, and the limit on that I believe it was an acre. You can only do an acre of that. However, there is no limit to how many licenses that you can have. So you can have those 200 acres all right next to each other, but each acre is going to have its own individual license. And I think that's where a lot of these wine producers are coming in and kind of being like, what the hell is going on here? Like this, this entire valley is being taken over by, by this crop that's going to have drastic events. And definitely I, I agree with you, Janice, where it's just kind of like, I've had some wines from Mexico uh, in particular from Guanajuato that those vines used to grow in like hot pepper plant fields. They ripped those out and they planted vines in them. And that pepper flavor is very prominent on the wine to the point where you're just kind of like, this is not good. I guess, is that, like, am I allowed to say this? Like, it's like one of those things, like it sounds really cool in concept. And at times I think maybe it is more appropriate than others, but it's it's very much so like, you know, wine is driven by terroir. Like there's no, you know, we get into the the debates constantly about, you know, does terroir exist in, in distilled spirits because of the distillation process? Does it change the chemical composition? Well, with wine, there's no dispute. Terroir is a huge influence. And so, and I think that you're right, the cross-pollination, um, these different flavor profiles. I, I do the way that the article read a, a, a few times where it, it definitely seemed like the uneducated reefer madness kind of paranoia to it, which I don't think is the right way to go about this argument because 
you immediately date yourself when you start talking about the dangers of weed. And, and even, even to the point like that, where, where one of the producers was talking about the, um, the aesthetics of it. And is it really going to, is it going to mess with your experience as you're, cause we've, we've all, or at least us three, we we've driven through Napa, we've driven through the central Valley and there is this romanticism to it, right. Where you see these rolling Hills, of of vines and then and actually now that chris is finally gone like we've been to jalisco where you see these rolling hills of agave and it's really really beautiful and i can foresee a situation where if i'm going down the hill and i see beautiful vine 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 and then it's just rows of marijuana plants that are surrounded in chain link vents potentially barbed wire on top you're just kind of like where the hell did i just transport to and and really that ends up being minuscule to the fact that now that that winemaker year to year, which is, this is already a super challenging, um, product to produce is now going to be like, how is this stuff going to turn out? Cause again, like you don't know, it's like the same thing that we, that, you know, Chris, what we were talking about when it comes to like smoke taint and the fires over the last couple of years, you don't know till it's too late. You know, you just don't know. You can't pick up on these things early on. So there's nothing that you can do about them. And maybe they'll find some ways that, they start to identify like, oh, this is going to have this aroma to it that we, you know, this is going to have this funk that we don't want. But, um, but I do think that there's a lot of potential. Or potential maybe you like that- it. It might, it might add something amazing, totally. but we just don't yeah. know. Right. Like, yeah. And, and I think, and I think that's fair. I think that's a le- legitimate critique uh, of the situation. Like I'm not a botanist. I don't know how, how like, you know, weed pollen flies through the air or like, you know, the terpenes travel and land on, you know, land on, you know, grapes and do they start, you know, their own version of like noble rot or something like that, which might be amazing uh, or it might be terrible. Who knows? Right. But I, I mm. can see I can foresee like some pretty legitimate fear there from an over overabundance of a crop that just all of a sudden pops up out of nowhere and it grows like that. You know, it's, I mean, it's a weed. It just grows real fast um, versus your annual grapes. Right. So I, um, I, the other, other aspect that jumped out to me specifically when talking about like farming in this agriculture, it's like the water rights, you know, like, so for so long, the wine growers, you know, have, have had not a monopoly, but they, they've had their fair share of, you know, of preference on water rights in, in that region. Um, but I imagine with, the need for water for, for, you know, marijuana that that now starts getting a little bit more divvied up and, and, uh, less, uh, you know, at least I could see a fear there of like whether or not people are going to get cut off or get, start getting fees for using too much water when before they were, you know, they were well within their rights. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all live in California. We know how how water scarcity feels. So, you know, that's something that's definitely to take note of in all of this, especially like since we, it takes a lot of water to grow weed, right? Does it? <laughs> I, d- I don't know the answer to this. I, <laughs> I've never grown it myself. I've partaken, but I've never grown it myself. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what what it does. I, I think that is interesting, right? Because, you know, wine or wine, you know, grapes, they 
they need water, but they don't need a tremendous amount of water. That's actually what a lot of producers try to do is they want to make that, that great struggle. But if you're looking at this situation where, you know, again, to come back to this number, just in the first few years, you see this tremendous growth in the San, in Santa Barbara where you have, you know, $4.2 million versus 1.7. If you're a city official and you have these two groups that are coming to you and they're being like, well, you know, we need this and we need that. And, you know, your, your job is to make this city successful. And you look at it, you're kind of like, well, this group is bringing in twice the amount of money that this group is bringing in. You know, what does that discussion look like as the years go on? Because you've, you've seen this ridiculous growth with the marijuana business and every year more states legalize it right and we still have a tremendous amount of them to go before everybody in the u.s is legalized so does that number continue to to go up to a point where it's like is there is there a time in our lives where we go hey remember when santa barbara used to make wine you know yeah like yeah because then because then if you're if you're looking at it from the wine producers point of view right where they continue to get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and let's say that marijuana fields next to grapes don't jive right and it doesn't produce product that we think is particularly good do you look at your situation as a wine or as you know grape grower and kind of be like i'm out i'm gonna sell it to this marijuana producer i'm out like i i'll just i'll take i'll take my money and go and i'll go to a different region i'll go to napa where they have rules you know and <laughs> they have rules and go from there you know or do you oh, transition so do you transition and like say fuck wine i'm gonna make i'm gonna grow marijuana now you know it like i don't know why through this whole entire conversation like the new opening credits for south park just keep rolling in my brain because you know they now like weed is such a prevalent product in our culture that like it's even taken over opening credit rights for south park the integrity farms the integrity yeah 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 that's true i mean i think there's that that's i think that's a that's a very conceivable thing as well or i mean and we've seen that across multiple countries is when a crop becomes less viable you know, farmers can be very industrious and be like, well, let's rip those fuckers out and let's put this thing in because I have the space. Let's make some, let's make some money. And, you know, you end up losing a lot of kind of what makes that, what makes that unique. Um, I want to ask you guys this, this final question, because this might be a very relevant question over the next couple of years. And I want to have, I want to have our collective opinions on the record first. Right. Okay. So, Wine is is very big into pairings, correct? Well, now yes. we have this we have this huge increase in in marijuana fields and stuff like that. What is the best wine to pair your weed smoking with? Well, that's a good question, Janice. You go first. Do I have to? 
no I you don't some, uh, I, need, I feel like i need moments i honestly like <laughs> I, I like i like smoking don't get me wrong okay i said this on the record oh shoots <laughs> this is forever like, goodbye is job forever. opportunity your new bar management job you're out this is the totally the cleanest industry of all time no one does drugs here <laughs> You know, it's funny, though. There are still companies out there that do drug tests and that potentially you just put me on the spot here and now I can never get a job with them. But, um, you know, I'm like, I, I can see it being a chocolate thing, you know, like a weed chocolate and like wine thing. I just like smoking and wine. I feel like there's such strong flavors with both particular products that the you know we can pair it there is there there we can pair it i just i've i haven't really thought completely about it i almost want like bubbles i want like bubbles <laughs> or some sort of like i don't know like like bubbles is good it's like it's like it's bar. it's like a palate cleanser cleanser from the smoke I'm more proud of myself Jan- that like I got I got Janice to a point where she like she doesn't have something to say like she she finds herself legitimately perplexed by this question like it's well, just no, like I I'm coming up with stuff right now okay <laughs> <laughs> granted I'm kind of pulling it out of my ass but like you know you got me thinking this thing right now so I'm gonna say some things because I don't know what Jan- to say my my brain went to Chocolina very first and foremost as well. It was the fir- first yeah. varietal I went to. I was like, Chocolina, high acid, maybe a little bit of bubbles. Like, if it's smoke, you know, it'll, it'll like, it'll clear it out. Or maybe not clear it out, but at least you'll be able to fucking taste it, right? Or like a ferment, like something like a choc- like like a Turkish or Hungarian funky yeah. wine that's like yeah. like something in that like vein. Or we can even go fortified and just get down on the sherry. Like I feel like that's a better place to be than like your classic like this cabernet definitely pairs with this <laughs> stanky tank right here. <laughs> That sounded awfully racist. I'm just going to put that out there. That's just what that sounded oh, like. No. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I actually, I think, I think you're right. I think going a fortified route with it is 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 definitely the play. Because um, I was thinking to myself, I was like, I was like, okay, well, you know, like how 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 deep do you want to go with this? Is like, you know, if, well, if you're smoking out of a bowl, you, you drink this kind of wine. If you are, if you have like a vape pen, are you going with this? Are you going with that? And then, and that's where my mind was going. And then as soon as you said fortified wine, cause I was going like, okay, well, what really goes with the vape? I was like, I was like, Oh dude, fortified is the play, right? You have, you have this sweetness to it. It's gonna, it's gonna hold up against any form that that you go with so so to me it's it's the end of the night you're you're really trying to wind down and and get to this get to this like relaxed chill state so i think yeah it's it's fortified dessert wine paired with with your favorite kush and then there you go like that's the that to me is the play i mean you also brought up the idea of like different vessels to have it in like now i'm thinking like what if i put like some sherry instead of bong water like what's gonna happen there (laughs) (laughs) like i'm gonna end up taking it one step further like 
we're gonna get this we're gonna get this group text in a couple of days it's just gonna be like this just pictures of all these different vessels and then just like a notepad with all these random notes on it and just gonna be like it's like i figured it out this is gonna be illegible because she's stoned and drunk all at the same time so it's just (laughs) just gonna be lines scribbled down like vertically down a page I'm like I I I I converted my padrone into like a bong, and now it's like I'm like doing one of these things where I'm holding it above and like, oh man! And then I'm smoking it after. Okay, so so what? Or, so or how I, are we smoking? Are we using like a smoking gun uh, to top off like a Manhattan? Right, so so you end up with like a Manhattan on the rocks with like a little like a little uh, weed smoke over top of it. Oh, Chris, don't go there. You just opened up like Pandora's box because now we're going to have to take smoking guns and see how, what if you use a smoking gun with marijuana and then put that on your little box and now you're smoking your cocktails. I mean, isn't that already like a volcano? Like a volcano bong? Both of you. No, but I'm not like, oh. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know what I'm, I'm talking about now, like going into like smoking cocktails so like you know you have like apple wood you have like whatever fucking shit wood that you want to smoke your cocktail with but instead of wood you're smoking it with weed it's not you're getting high and you're getting drunk even though that's not allowed in the state of california because we cannot mix alcohol and cannabis at the same time just now there's going to be a lot of experiments happening i just can feel that coming from this yeah because that never happens okay you should tell us what you think. You mean Drew? No, no, I'm I'm on the I'm on the fortified wine. Oh, front. Fortified are you wine. on the? Yeah, yeah. Are you on the? Are you sticking with your original inclination? Uh, I, yeah, the, I think I think Choc- Chocolina is 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 the play. But I, you know, there's a good there's a good argument to be made about like a, like a solid PX. Uh, I you know I think that's that's lovely. I think it's a you know. You got great depth of flavor, especially if it's a good one. If you're not like sipping on a shitty PX, you know, you just have a, you have like the right amount of residual sugar. It's not, uh, I don't know, like it's not flat flavor. You know, I, you probably don't want like a vintage, you know, you know, probably don't want a, a PX from the 1960s. But yeah, you get you get a nice like Hidalgo or something like that. And that's a that's a great that's a great night. Sit by a campfire. Okay, so now, so what we're gonna, so what we'll do is we're, you know, for our listeners at home, be sure to send us what you think, either on like our Instagram post or Facebook, or you can just text one of us and be like, "You idiots, you pair this wine with weed." Clearly, and I want, I want, I want that to be the message. You got to go, you know, you can send it just to one of us. We'll be sure to forward it on to the other. So that way we stop living in ignorance. But, um, but yeah, that's how, that's how I want it done. You know who's dope? Them over there. Are we on to my favorite segment? Is that what we're doing now? Definitely. And, And we've, we've kind of buried this so far, but. Janice is a first-time guest on the Good Bottle Podcast. However, she's been a part of it for so long because she is the voice of the Dope Follow. Wait, what? 
No, no she's not. not. No, she's not. Is she not? She was part of that group, no. though, wasn't she? No, no, no. You, we sent it to her. You were with no, we four didn't. people that night. No, we sent it to Karina. No, I thought we sent it to Janice. No. Janice, did you oh, do it or did, oh, did Karina did. do it? No, we, we did send it to Janice, but she never responded. She was uh, busy that evening. So she Is that how that been. went? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, so my previous thing about how yeah. she doesn't respond to stuff is definitely based in reality for all of us. 100%. I'm so sorry. I didn't, like, I know I did get back to you, but it was like a day later. And you're like, it oh, it's okay. We got it done. Yep. That's, I do respond back in yeah. time. And the fact that she it's remembers like that, like, later. literally, like, two two text bubble conversation, like a, like, a year and a half ago. It's pretty impressive. That makes you really, that makes you really happy then because it was like, I've always thought for this entire time that it was her. And it was just like, because it just, there's, there's a little bit of, of like how, like that's how she talks. And I was just kind of like, okay, cool. Yeah. That, that, that was it. But it turns out, no, we asked her and she said, she, or she didn't say anything, <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. Because we have you here now. Well, and you know, I charge for that. Like as a, as a former child voiceover actress, I used to do that for a living, actually. So, voiceover is, that a, is what, that is that a real thing? Are you being serious right now? Yeah, yeah. I started doing voiceovers when I was fifteen years old, and um, my whole entire Disney career was kaput because I was living in San Francisco and forgot to tell my voiceover agent that I was living in San Francisco when he told me Disney called they want you to be in the studio at four o'clock today we're it's a thousand dollars per session there's a new cartoon that they love your voice for I just feel like there's this there's this whole new layer to you that I'm just blown away by like I'm like shocked right now and then not at all like I'm like of course you were a voice actor like why wouldn't you be and I could show the, you the old scripts and everything, all of my old training. I just don't have my reel because my agent had it, and uh, I'm pretty sure he burnt that to pieces. <laughs> that is so. That is so funny. Okay, then you're right. We definitely back then. I mean, and even now, we could not have afforded afforded you. So I'm glad that I'm glad that you didn't respond because it would have come with rates. So um, okay. So anyways, all right. So now that we've we've solved this mystery, and. And and much love to former guest uh, Karina, who we who we love as well. Thank you for for giving us so many different options, even though I don't remember clearly who it was. Um, don't follows, and this is where we tell our listeners who you should be following. It could be books, podcast, uh, Instagram accounts, what the hell ever that we think is cool right now that you guys should be following as well. So, Janice, I know you are very excited about this category. You have visual aids as well that I'm going to, I'm going to get ready so I can make sure to capture them for everybody. Who, who are your dope follows? So I am in love. So it's eight. Okay. If y'all didn't know it's AAPI month, it's Asian American Pacific Islander happiness month. Uh, I added the happiness there for you. Uh, But with that (laughs) said, there's this one bartender artist who I've been following for a, for a little bit now, and I am just in absolute awe of all that she does. And she's been running the circuit, and just I have 
I'm like kind of in love with her. She's like my girl crush. I like absolutely think she's just the bee's knees. Yes, I use that phrase still. Um, but uh, her name's Melanie Getman, and she does a lot of really cool, beautiful artwork. And I highly recommend following her. Her Instagram's uh, Wide Eyed Wonderlust, Wanderlust, Lust. Oh my gosh! So W I D E E Y E D. I forgot how to spell <laughs> W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T. Wow. I'm going to blame it on the mezcal because right now my <laughs> and also on like my foggy brain and my distraction. The other one that I've been like super excited to follow lately, like, so I've just gotten hip to the TikToky, um, and just like been excited about the little videos on there and there's one dude named uh sam cotton who he does these like um animation like he animates different inanimate objects um and it's just really funny it reminds me of like that show woke but it also like i just like the um combination of both like animation and real world like I think that stems from my obsession with cool world which if you haven't watched that like please watch cool world because it's dope but like yeah like I've definitely come into like a big fun like yes this guy is really funny so yeah it's Sam Cotton I am Sam Cotton on the TikToker. There's a new one for Chris. He's he's all about that TikTok life now. I do like the Tiki Talkies. And so, and you know what's funny is like, so you're really into it. My wife has really gotten into it. I haven't taken the plunge, but I get sent the video. So then I always have to open them through my browser constantly on my phone. And it's getting to the point where I have so many people sending them to me. I'm like, I, do I just need to join this? But like, I don't need another obsession in my life. Like I spend enough time looking at my phone, like I finally took Facebook off of it and it's been great. I don't want to immediately replace it with another addiction because the videos are pretty great. I have to admit the ones at least that I get sent. So hearing more cool ones terrifies me. I mean, I just think of it like, God, how much time do people have to make these things? And then I remember, Oh, we were in a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, who's your don't follow this week? All right, mine's a really simple one, very low brow, coming coming out of the gate, being uh, as uh, on brand as I can. Uh, and this is uh, uh, on Instagram at drunk people doing things. It's just <laughs> enjoyable. It's just a bunch of idiots doing idiotic things on video. It's great. That is good. Oh, I'm following that right now. Drew, what about you? Um, so I am recommending I'm recommending a book this week, which I think this makes it two in a row potentially. But um, I went and picked up, and then we're doing some visual aid stuff. I went and picked up Action Bronson's new book, and it's called "Fuck It, I'll Start Tomorrow," and um. I don't know if you guys have been following action over the past year, but he's been on this crazy weight loss journey 
And um, for for the uninitiated, uh, Action is a rapper and then also food show host. His show is called Fuck That's Delicious. And it's one of my favorite food shows because it's just ridiculous the entire time. And um, I have listened to a little bit of his music. Not really my thing, but I love his show. And I love the fact that um, that it's just it's it's incredibly entertaining. And he travels all around the world for like his music tour. But then he's also hitting all these really cool food spots and stuff like that. So over the past year, uh, he ended up having another kid and was like, I really need to get my life together. I think he was like pushing like over 400 pounds. And and so around the same time, he was he was writing this book. And this is the most difficult book I've read in a long time. And the reason being is if you're familiar at all with how Action Bronson talks, what they did in this book was I think he just spoke and it was like one of those machines where it just writes down everything that you say. So it is so sporadic throughout the entire thing where he just says everything that's on his mind and everything verbatim goes onto the page. And for the first few chapters, you're reading it and you're like, what the hell is going on in this book? And now I'm, I, I'm on to the last chapter now and it really kind of turns a corner at one point and you're starting, and then you start to figure out, you're like, you're like, Whoa, like I literally went from, I hate this book to a few chapters later being like, this is really good. And I do feel like I got some really interesting insight into him. But like, if you're unfamiliar with his speech patterns and stuff like that, it's going to be really hard to follow at first. But if you are a fan of Action Bronson, it is really good. It really, you know, dives into to why the way he is. I mean, he grew up in New York City. He comes from an Albanian family and um, just all the insanity that has occurred in this guy's life and the way that he goes about things like it just it's it's absurd but i also just really like the fact that you know he's a guy who also got into the music industry at at a more advanced age and what i really like about that is just you know he just tells you he's like there's there's no there's no time that you're supposed to do something it's like just get into the things that you love and that's ultimately kind of what the book ends up being about so so that's what it's called you know fuck it i'll start tomorrow and it's Action Bronson. So that's my don't follow of the week. And uh, and I hope you guys check it out. I don't know if you guys are Action Bronson fans, but you should definitely check it out. I love um, uh, Fuck That's Delicious. That's, it's a great show. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah. The Good Bottle Podcast is a production of Fluid Concepts, edited and researched by these two guys. Music is by two brothers, Leon and Chase Moore, because you always just want a little bit more. Before we go kill these bottles that we've been drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and smash on that follow button. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is dgarrison6 and Chris is Chris Sinflair. Janice, where can they find you on the social medias? Um, you can find me on Instagram at mytinydancer or if you like agave things at Fueled by Agave. I also have a website, www.fueledbyagave.co. 
What a great plug. Cops are too expensive. That's the, that's the best plug that we've gotten so far. Good for you. Um, Thank you. You can, you can also support the podcast and our desire to hire Janice to do more voiceover work for us by checking out anchor.fm slash Podcast. And if you would like for us to cover a story, if you're working with a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. Adios, y'all. <laughs>